Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And today is a special episode where we're going to discuss the horror movies of Sarah Michelle Gellar. And we have three special returning guests. Gentlemen, say hello. Hi, Hi this is Adam Sass. Oh, this I'm... Is my... Sorry? No, you go ahead first. <laughs> oh, no, no, please. Oh, well, all right then. Who uh, are these pleasant voices? Too many cooks. <laughs> <laughs> I am Caleb Rarig. And I'm Michael Verratti. Yay. Um, Adam has been on for the season premieres of the last two seasons, and mm-hmm. Michael and Caleb were on in season three. Um, so, yeah. So we're doing a Halloween bottle episode. <laughs> um <laughs> We're gonna I've got my bottle right here. Yeah, I, I have. Yeah, I was yes. just about to say. It's for I, Halloween. Want the, I want the listeners to hear like the very familiar clinking of ice in a glass. Right? <laughs> yes. oh, oh, <laughs> I don't have any ice in my glass. Oh, shit. I'm trying I'm, to... Like, your I'm drinking, oh, ice in your glass. I'm drinking a bottle of root beer that says it's called Dad's. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's Dad's root beer. Um, well, welcome to the show tonight. <laughs> I'm drinking bourbon, but I'm drinking it neat because I'm an adult. I'm very adult. Oh my God. I'm drinking, drinking tequila through a straw. So. Ooh, I'm drinking vodka and iced tea. <laughs> I'm drinking a very non-adult hair vodka with pear nectar and soda. Yay. Okay, so I made myself a pear <laughs> martini. With- <laughs> I, just, I feel like it's nice to talk about like Sarah Michelle Gellar as Scream Queen and like who are the other big ones that we love and... Um, I mean, her career as a Scream Queen was also seven years long when we were really right. talking about it. So I mean, this is the aughts we're talking well, about. Well, but yeah, I mean, but it, but it is interesting though that when you talk about the Scream Queens, minus Sarah Michelle Gellar, you're you're talking about like the final girls, right? Right. And and in her, which means you know you're you're talking about the Alice Hardys from from Friday the Thirteenth and and Nancy from yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. But in her horror, exactly, and in her horror movie role, Sarah Michelle Gellar was never the final girl. And she is in Grudge. In the Grudge, she is. Oh, oh okay, fair enough. But <laughs> I don't. That's a that's structured completely. Different. We're going to get to that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get into that. But I mean, like, but, it's not like Jamie Lee Curtis was killed. What, like, after final horror. girl usually <laughs> implies like a very living serial killer who's slashing everyone, not like a ghost who's haunting a yeah. house. Yeah. Well, well I, my thing is, my thing is, it's more that what Sarah Michelle Gellar is famous for within the horror genre is being this badass superhero who fights monsters. Um, yeah. And and it, it's not so much that she's a final girl as much as that she's this warrior queen. Mm-hmm. And then you've got her horror roles where she is sort of consistently playing more, much more vulnerable characters. And, and you can talk about the fact that she survives the <laughs> crush, but that's a movie where I think the final girl is the audience. Um, but I, I do think that there is a differentiation between the notion of a scream queen and a final girl because a, a, a final girl is exactly that. That's the, the, the girl who survives. And if you look across the, the, the course of horror film history, that character exists in a lot of slasher and supernatural films, but, and and oftentimes can be a scream queen, but the idea of the scream queen is someone who has embodies a character to me that it, it transcends 
maybe the confines of just that specific piece of media and becomes iconic. So if you look at like in the 70s, like Ingrid Pitt and Countess Dracula and the Vampire Lovers was a scream queen of the 70s, but she's the villain. But because she's a strong female character who represents those films, she's known through the genre as a scream queen. Jamie Lee Curtis is a scream queen because when you think of Halloween, you think of Laurie Strode, you think of Heather Langenkamp, you think of Adrian King from Friday the 13th. Uh, and sometimes they're final girls, sometimes they're not. Uh, like Rose McGowan, I think in Scream counts as a Scream Queen yeah. because yeah. she's so iconic. You know, like, the, the idea that you, yeah. So yeah. so well, I I think they can be one and the same, but they're not always the same. I think that's really interesting because I, agree with I that. feel like a person becomes a Scream Queen, and for me, the definition is a lot more technical. Like I think it's someone who has taken on multiple roles in different yeah. films or someone who has played the same role consistently in the genre like three or four times. So there are people who have played final girls who I would never say are screen queens because they were in like one film. Yeah. Or um and then so yeah, there are people who are final girls who are not scream queens. It's like a square rectangle thing. Well, I would yeah. say like and then there's Love Hewitt is not a scream queen, she's a final girl. Yeah, right. I would agree with that. And yeah. And then kind but of someone like Elvira oh, is yeah, go sorry. And then when I was like, go along with what Caleb was saying, he might say that Sarah Michelle Geller is a scream queen who was never really a final girl. Yeah, yes. I would I would totally agree with that. Because but also I mean, she she was only a scream like I don't think she's quite as iconic as other like she could have been but she never quite got there i also um, think that there has to be some kind of like f some kind of like thing with the actress because even though she is in so many i will i would never think of nev campbell as a scream queen even though she is the queen of scream she is not <laughs> literally the queen of scream she well, literally is but i never think of her when i think of like my favorite scream queens and she's also in the craft shout out the craft yeah yeah well, well, but having, it's, a, it's an interesting question because I was just thinking that myself about Naomi Watts and The Ring. I don't know if I would consider her a scream queen, but that's an iconic horror movie. Yeah, well, I think, like, yeah. is there a, are we talking an age bracket for scream queens, though? Is it usually, like, I don't, teen? Because Naomi Watts feels like more like a yeah. woman who is just a, right. up this a scream point. empress. But I <laughs> think, but right... <laughs> Please. But I guess I guess I feel like it. it some of it, it it really is an ineffable thing that that it has to strike a very specific kind of pop culture chord. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, having just rewatched all, I just watched, I just marathoned all the screams, <laughs> and I'm just struck by how much I really, really like what Nev Campbell is doing with Sydney yeah, Prescott. She's great. I mean, and yeah, like I, the yeah, show that great. I was just shouting by the end of Scream Four, <laughs> was shouting. I was like. Why isn't she in more things? What's happening there? Is, what's yeah, going no, on here? It's a travesty that we've lost enough Campbell. I think I think that the Scream movies actually work so well for the same reason Buffy works so well. I think it's the yeah. sum of they're the sum of all yeah. the parts. And Absolutely. I think that like the writing is really on point, but also like they get really good and especially like even though they're like really famous for their time period, it still like works going back to it now. No, no, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rein myself in a little bit, but I am, I was such a fan. I, I, my sister lived in Santa Rosa for a while, and I went out to visit her and and my brother-in-law, and I went on a like t personal tour of sc screen shooting locations because I was that big of a screen geek. <laughs> um, 
but it really, really absolutely revolutionized the genre because it took it took this genre where people never took horror seriously. Like by the end of the 80s, it was such a joke. Um, and it, mm. it, it was so brilliant in the way that it embraced that. And it said, yes, we know that all of these things are hokey and all of these things are predictable and all of these things are dumb. And we're going to turn that all on its head and make that what makes this movie so unique and so special and so engaging. And it made all these old tropes scary again, and it made them all funny. Yeah, But that's what makes Wes Craven so important, too, because if another filmmaker had done it, it, it would have worked. But I don't think it would have had the impact Absolutely. That, that wouldn't that like that Wes brought to it because Wes, you know, in the 70s with Last House on the Left, basically delivered the drive-in exploitation film and then helped usher in the slasher movement with Nightmare on Elm Street in the 80s. And mm. once that monster was introduced, it became that bloated thing that literally Scream rails against. So you have one of the guys who literally made the thing happen that Scream is satirizing, and there's such a meta. M- magical m- moment there. And it's insane that it works. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. well, this is a good place to transition to talking about Scream 2. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have to tell you all, my I have a very unpopular ranking of the Scream movies, but I used to consider Scream 2 my least favorite of the series, but I do love them all. Like, for me, I think of the Scream series kind of the way I think of Buffy, where it's like, I like some less, but I still love them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think Scream 2, like, I was watching it the other day, like, I was really struck by how um, Scream 2, I was like, damn, if they didn't have this Laurie Metcalf ending, they'd be fucked. Like, I just, like, think they would be completely, (laughs) like, I just, like, I... Like if it was if it was just Timothy Oliphant at the end, like yes, it, it been... would not be remembered. Yeah. As well. Okay, but did you guys read the? There was like because because back then there was that whole thing about how the uh, a script um, with a totally different ending had been leaked, and there was a whole there was a whole scandal about it, and they said that they had they shot a brand new ending because of the the leaked script. Oh really? Anybody yeah. remember? Anybody else remember that? No, I remember so. reading this yeah, the original killer or... was supposed to be Jerry O'Connell's character. And yeah. when, it was, when it was leaked, they did these harsh or, or quick reshoots. And honestly, yeah. I think from a writing perspective, uh, I share an unpopular opinion of the ranking of the films, although I like them all and I agree with Ian. Two has never worked for me as well as some of the others because I can I can see the reshoots like and that's just and it's not a problem there's still things about the movie that are marvelous but there is a logical flow that doesn't work as well as the others do yes Yes. Um, Kevin Williamson had to like turn that script around on like a week or something I'll say this this. he picked absolutely the right the right character to do it for because Laurie Metcalf is a fucking powerhouse absolutely she she delivered above and beyond the call of duty for that um but I read the original, like the leaked script. If that is really what they initially intended to shoot, and it was, it was a sharper, like it was a much tighter ending. Um, so I agree with that. However, I will say, like overall as a package, I definitely have a. I'm very committed to my ranking for the Scream movies. So I'm interested <laughs> to see where everybody else falls. <laughs> Um, um, yeah. Well, I've, I've always said you can interrupt a Halloween party if you say the best Scream sequel is and then just back out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> That's really accurate. I remember on Twitter, like, everyone jumped. I think, like, some of you did. Like, everyone jumping in because I said Scream 2 was my least favorite only because I hadn't watched it in a while. And I love Parker Posey so much in the third one. Like, 
I think Parker Posey's role, her and Hayden Panettiere save the third and fourth ones and are like the characters, because Scream, for me, Scream 2 added so many characters that you didn't care about that died. That's why I didn't Mm -hmm. like it. And for me, that's why I like the third and the fourth one, because they add characters that die that you do care about. Okay, sure. I think Ryan Murphy has to, like, absolutely be, like, like, praying every night, (laughs) like, a big thank you to Scream 4, because without, because, like, Scream 4 happened just as American Horror Story was starting. Yeah. And it just, like, set that weird bell tone of, like, that, that... Emma Roberts like nails this <laughs> yeah. weird tone. She found it like it's just, it, but nailed it. And then it's just what we're all living with now. <laughs> okay, I come. I okay. Well, whatever. Go, Go ahead. ahead, please. No, no, no. I we're we're supposed to be talking about Sarah, Sarah Michelle, Michelle Gellar. Gellar. Yeah, exactly. Sarah Michelle Gellar is listening to this podcast and getting very. <laughs> I bet she thinks part four is great. Then um, I love part four. I, I, it's my second favorite in the series. No, no. Okay, so uh, all right. No, no, no. <laughs> now you're forced again. No, so, so it's so it's, it's one, two, four, three. That is the order. That is how it I works. Can... One, I'm... two, four, three. Period. End of story. <laughs> no, I'll, I, I actually think that four is the strongest sequel as well. But my reason is this, and I, I get the ranking of two. But for me, it's the fact that Scream, as we talked about earlier, what served as this is the satire that kind of was a critique of everything that came before it. And then when when Scream comes out, Scream 2 is literally the byproduct of Scream's popularity. So Scream kind of like starts this train where all the new slasher movies, Urban Legend, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and everything that followed wanted to have that cheeky meta quality where it's it's making, and so it became the beast it was making fun of. So then there's this decade in between and Scream 4 drops. And what Wes did with that movie is he literally did it again where he's like, we created the beast, we made fun of the beast, and then we fucking created the beast again. So here's Scream 4 that's making fun of Scream culture. Yeah. That's yes. what that, that's what made 4 work so much for me. I think 4 would have been stronger if they had cut out when Emma Roberts was going into the ambulance and they had just cut to credits. People oh, would have lost their yeah. goddamn mind. <laughs> yes. But I, I think... I, I would have not... Have, I would, that theater would not still be in existence if I had... If I had no, I... I 100% agree. And I was actually texting with Adam about this earlier this week about how one of the things that I love about Scream 4 is how they take this, they, they juxtapose these jaded older adults who, who are a, a byproduct of like 90s horror culture and then these yeah. social media savvy, smart-ass teenagers who are a product of contemporary culture, which is a product of Scream, like 90s horror culture. I yeah. just, I love it. I love what yeah. they with that. It was so it, smart. And that moment, Caleb, you're talking about is crystallized perfectly when they're in the cinema club and you have Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox just looking at these dudes and saying, well, of course you have to cancel this party. <laughs> and they just look at her like, what do you mean cancel the party? Like, also, like, I love Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox telling like 17 year olds to fuck off, like is <laughs> so good. <laughs> it, <laughs> which also to bring us back to Sarah Michelle Geller. Yes. yes. The opening scene of work that she's in, the only scene she's in before she dies, is them. Is it a film class or a class where they just happen to be talking about film? Matthew, it's a it's a film. I think it's a film studies class because the kid from Scream, the guy from Scream who's who's obsessed with films, is in it. So I'd imagine it's a film studies class. Oh, right, right. Because um, her opening line, which to me is so silly, 
is you've got a hard on for Cameron. Sarah Michelle Geller talking about James Cameron, which is like bananas to me. <laughs> mm. Um so I mean well the cool thing so the cool thing also is like so Scream Two, I think it came out earlier than people I think sometimes remember that it did. Like Buffy was only it was in season two of Buffy and the I just looked it up. The last episode to air before Scream Two came out in December of ninety seven was uh ted so ted had aired <laughs> oh come on she's got season two buffy hair she's got that cute yeah. little like well yeah. so they, and they referenced that in the ep- in the opening of season two uh xander references her cutting her hair and it's, yeah. she got they gave her the cut for scream oh. two no 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 they gave her that cut for i know what you did last summer oh sorry that's what i meant i know you did yeah because she said she had to wear a fall for that that never sat right. And she talked about how she was terrified that she was going to get fired from her job because of Felicity. <laughs> uh, because oh, right. That, that was a legit big deal. Yeah. 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 Carrie Russell big... toppling a network. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So Where'd this is airing up? during season two of Buffy. And she's kind of like the it girl at this point. Or is becoming the it girl. That's so crazy to think that it was like that early on. Right? Yeah. Like, well, I think I can imagine, and I'm sure people here know more about this than I do because I'm just going off of my imagination. This is all made up in my head. But I imagine that there is a moment that happens in terms of money in a boardroom where they're like, who is like not that much money but is like bubbling up and is hot true, now? Yeah. And Sarah Michelle Se- probably was at that point. 100%. Yeah. Where she yeah. had a lot of buzz, but she was the cheapest. And the whole point. Not the whole point, but one of the biggest things about the horror genre is that movies are supposed to be made on the cheap. Yes. I mean, Matthew, exactly. I think at that time, also, the WB was so fledgling that um, you, like, studios, I think, could just, like, take their pick of whoever they wanted. They could just be like, you'll you'll be glad to be in a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I mean, she probably was, like... Oh, yeah. I'm I'm sure, and, like, Scream 1 did so well that I'm sure that, like... (laughs) Any actor, look, I mean, Carrie Fisher is in the third movie. Like, I'm sure. Oh, listen, anyone Jada Pinkett was like Smith is is a she. She opens the second film as a victim. People yeah. were really, really excited to be a part of that that yeah. powerhouse at that yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, because that was like Drew Barrymore wasn't happening. That was like her big time, and then yeah, and then, it, and then boom, and then then she was off, and then. What's um, interesting is that like, I've read, I've read, of course, comparisons between Drew Barrymore and Janet Lee. How you have a name star who mm-hmm. dies uh, before the movie really gets started, as uh, you know, in a manner of speaking. Um, and it, it's and all it's, in a poster. Exactly. Well, and then of course they parody that to the nth degree in part four. Yes. Yeah. Well, I uh, I do think that opening is for me, the weakest part. Like, it's a little bit yes, too wacky. Yes, thank you. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I was really excited, and I remember thinking, oh, I love that Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell are the last minute, like, they were, like, their names were dropped, like, a week before the movie was coming out. And I remember thinking, I bet the two of them, because they're, like, around our ages, were excited just to even be in the movie. Like, yes. they're not, like, young teen stars, but they're, like, yeah. younger but, like, I'm sure they were just, like, I'll do whatever for Scream, like, and their part is so stupid, but I'm sure both of them were like, yeah, cool, we'll totally do whatever. Um, but also, who doesn't love the idea of Veronica Mars and Sookie Stackhouse hanging out and, like, eating popcorn and watching a movie? And I, I love <laughs> that. My Anna two Catherine favorite... Her. Continue, continue um, Adam. 
I was like, she had. I was. I was. Right. I was watching it last night, and I was like, she has her Sookie Stackhouse like yeah. Daisy Dukes on. Oh yeah, and she's I like <laughs> climbing over the sofa. I'm like, those are short. I mean, jean shorts. I love <laughs> that. Like my two favorite TV leading blonde ladies, two favorite leading ladies from TV, Veronica Mars and Buffy, both were minor roles in Scream. Um, oh, sure. Like mm-hmm. that. I mean, that feels very on brand for Scream. That like. These two, like, women famous for being, like, strong female characters are... I mean, Kristen Bell doesn't die, but she murders Anna Paquin. <laughs> Let's talk about her role as Cece, the sober sister, in Scream well, 2. Well, that's what I think is so interesting, too, is that she is the sober sister in Scream 2, because I think... I mean, Scream... There, there's, you can't make a reference in a Scream movie without knowing that there's a whole bunch of history behind it. And there's obviously a history behind, like, drunk people at parties being the people who die. Yeah. And then you have the sober sister alone in the house being the person who dies. And like, like just having her as this role is already subverting Sam. I mean, Sam Michelle Gellar in these roles is subverting Sam Michelle Gellar's brand almost um, on purpose. Like, you know, everyone who tweeted at me when I was like, because of course my brand is Buffy. So like me tweeting this week when I've been watching these movies, rewatching them, Every time I tweeted about them, someone replied with, like, yeah, I hated watching her in these movies only because I wanted her to kick the crap out of the killer, and I hated right. seeing her getting beat it's up, and I'm like, very yeah. hard to disconnect. It really is. Like, I feel yeah. like even if you're not me or Matthew who, like, are crazy about Buffy, it still is hard, right? Like, So, yeah. I, you know what's interesting is I don't find it that hard to see Sarah Michelle Gellar get murdered. I really don't. Yikes. I think it's (laughs) because the whole point of Buffy is that it is turning a horror trope on its head. So Mm -hmm. seeing her getting murdered feels it satisfies the trope part of my brain that likes structure and when things (laughs) happen the way they should. You do love a structure. And it likes genre. So it's like, I'm like, okay, this little blonde girl getting murdered feels right. And like, like that tracks. <laughs> well, also, you've seen Buffy die twice. So if that's the litmus, I mean, she, she's died in the show. We've seen yeah. her ripped out of heaven. But so she right. dies, her to die in a sorority house is not that crazy. But she dies like beating up a hell god or like saving her non existent like, sister. I guess we're watching it now in 2017, or even we were watching it earlier. Like maybe the audience wouldn't have had that association in 97. Yeah, that's Cause true. Because I think there is something to be said, like, there's always talks in Hollywood, like, of playing against type, or, like, can this person play this role after they've been associated with a role for so long? But, like, season, like, if all, all when they filmed it, all that had happened was, like, season one of Buffy. Yeah, that's and true. Yes. No one would have had that association in their head yet. Well, because, like... And I feel like that's part of the reason why I Know What You Did last summer worked so well, because she filmed it after this first season of Buffy, which nobody watched. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I was like, like my gay ass watching these movies. I was like, <laughs> why can't she do the thing? But like in the 90s, but then like for, for the first few years, like, I mean, I don't know if it was my town or whatever like that, but nobody watched Buffy live. No. Just everybody. Oh, no. You couldn't threaten people to watch the no, show. No, and I, I did everything people. in my power. I cajoled and I bribed and, 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 and blackmailed and extorted Just and nobody would watch the yeah. show. So I was thrilled. I mean, I was thrilled about Sarah Michelle Gellar appearing in Scream 2 because that was a movie that literally everybody watched. And I thought, well, right. this raises her Q rating and now people are going to be like, well, maybe I'll check out that Buffy show. Well, well, that's interesting because uh, Ian's, I don't want to say equation, but well, like Ian's, Ian's 
uh, assertion or hypothesis or whatever observation is that like it's harder for him because he sees uh, her as Buffy and then watching it seems out of character. But would a lot more of people have come to Buffy seeing Sarah Michelle Gellar in I Know You Did Last Summer in Scream 2 and then feel like empowered like, oh, this little blonde girl who died in the movies is actually this badass? Well, that's a yeah. So that's a thing. Like, like if if now is an appropriate time to segue into I Know What You Did Last Summer. Um, yes, it's always an appropriate time because yeah. I love I, I Know What You Did Last Summer. <laughs> I, uh, okay, so I saw that movie. Okay, so, so here's my confession. I saw Scream in the theater nine times. I saw I Know What You Did Last Summer five times in the theater. And Jesus. I have probably seen it a dozen times since. Um, <laughs> I live for that movie. I read, so I read I Know What You Did Last Summer by Lois Duncan um, in like middle school before I saw the movie. <laughs> and I was blown away. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Like it, it was like, it seemed so suspenseful and so scary and so like risk takey. And now in retrospect, I, I read it again, like, two, three years ago, and I was like, this is actually really tame. <laughs> it, I, There's like it, no, no actual deaths. It's just like people like... Oh, really? Getting, it's funny, so because I knew I knew that this movie was based off of a book when it came out, only because I remembered seeing that book at, like, book fairs in school, <laughs> and, like, never wanting to touch it, because I assumed that it was, like, the scariest thing it was, ever. No, it was <laughs> suspenseful. It was a suspenseful book, but it was not a slasher. Like, there weren't, like, bodies. I didn't pilots. realize people didn't die in that. I just oh. assumed people did die in that book. I, it's my understanding too that Lois Duncan is not a fan of the movie because she thinks that they kind of made her yeah. book into this slasher thing that she didn't right. intend it to be. I, I, yeah, no, you she were has every right to think that. That's <laughs> yeah, no, no, you are correct, and she's right. However, that I think is is a beautiful thing, <laughs> and I love both. I actually I love the book for what it is, and I love the movie for what it is. But I I watch that movie, and every single time, it doesn't matter how many times I've seen that movie. Every single time, that scene where Sarah Michelle Gellar is running from hook hand fisherman um through the alley i always want her to get away i know I always, this is the time this is the time that she'll get away <laughs> and it's not that i think she's going to pull buffy shit on him it's just that i want helen to escape i think that i think that and i know that i'm biased and i guess we all kind of are but i think helen is the most dynamic character in the movie Absolutely. and i think yeah, michelle geller is doing the most work in that movie aside, aside from barry's shower sequence right. which was <laughs> the most important i think we can all agree is the most important part of that movie oh i had such a crush on him oh gosh <laughs> oh my gosh where he walks through the with the towel around oh my gosh mm-hmm. i that was I, I that's why i saw that movie nine times i remember um, being like oh my god are we going to see it are we going to see it <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, I was like, please just move the camera. Just yeah. Move it. But, um, yeah. No. Aside from that part, uh, she definitely she is the one who's carrying water in that movie. I mean, no offense to to JLH and and you know what are you waiting for? Huh? <laughs> um, but I really feel like that whole sequence. And and listen to me, that is a sequence. It really is. Watching <laughs> takes so long, and the tension yep. is just like unbearable. <laughs> she watches Barry get killed. They put her in the car. Shit stick Mayberry ass reject. And then she watches him Such get a good killed. Line. She, 
Exactly. And then she's on the run and then Elsa and Elsa Her gets killed. Her sister and gets it, killed. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right? And then the whole sequence with the, oh, oh, and the bit where he's under the plastic and he yeah. jumps at her and then they run through the alley and you're like, it could still happen. She could still get away. <laughs> I, well, it, I think it's oh. also just like her character is so, I don't know, like her character is lovable in a way that the rest of the gang to me is really just like not as, I don't know. I mean, the movie even kind of opens on her as this yes. as this queen and then you get her fall and she's working like behind the perfume counter. Okay. Like yeah. The movie and is obsessed with what- the movie is obsessed with what happens to her in a way that it's not obsessed with the other characters. Yes. No, but but and if I may, it's a book that you trades may. on tropes. It's a book that trades on tropes, and the movie trades on the same tropes. So you've got Barry, who's the jock, and then you've got Ray, who is sort of like the local townie boy, and then you've got Julie, who's like the good girl who goes who wants to have a future at college. And in the book, Helen is the pretty one, and she really does not overcome this sort of superficial. Uh, thing that she's got going on and in the movie she totally does because she has her rise and she has her fall and then she has this complete sort of emotional character arc throughout with her relationship with julie and her relationship with barry and so on and so forth and her relationship with her sister and a lot of this is explored in more depth in the movie than it is in the book to a degree um and so i i do think that the movie gave her more because in in in, yeah. in the movie, the other characters really do sort of play to their tropes. Like, it, you could also, I think probably the filmmakers knew they could trust her yeah. with that kind of material because she had already had a season and a half of Buffy under her belt right. at that time. Oh, and? Of, like, taking these little moments and being like, oh, I'm, I just want this, and then, like, tying it to something real and there's little arcs and moments, and she knows how to do that, and I don't think, like, if they had put fill in the blank, I don't want to name names, but like if they had put some other actress at, of the time in that, I'm not sure. Like th- that might have ended up on the cutting room floor, like the perfume scene. Yeah. But well, I'm, also I'm, also prior to that, wasn't she? Um, it wasn't all my children. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, Kendall. Yeah, Kendall, and then she was in something else too, and she was was it was it. Oh, well, she has an Emmy what? for all my children. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. Wait, so guys, she had an Emmy. Wait. So wait, sorry, I need to interrupt for a very important breaking news announcement. Okay. Kevin Spacey came out. What? Wait, he just, the air? he just released a statement on Twitter about the Anthony Rapp allegations. Oh my god. The second paragraph is this story has encouraged me to address other things about my life. I know that there are stories out there about me and that if some have been fooled by the fact that I've been so protective of my privacy, as those closest to me know, my life in my life I've had relationships with men and women. I have loved and had romantic encounters with men throughout my life, and I choose to now live as a gay man. Huh. Wow. Hmm. Great. <laughs> There's a lot. I wish it was not that. under such grim circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't love yeah, the wording of I choose, but... I, I was going to say, there's, a lot, there's a lot to unpack about this statement, but for now... But I now let's go back it. to Sarah Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> I was saying, this is where you drop the audio of Jennifer Love Hewitt, Hewitt screaming, what are you waiting for? <laughs> oh, I'm so Michael, you have way too much faith in me and Matthew's editing abilities. Oh my gosh. No, but... Okay, so the one thing I do want to say about this movie is you have to have these nuanced characters, and the idea that Sarah Michelle Gellar uh, is able to deliver in such a way that makes us love Helen is important, because at the end of the day, this is one of the slasher films where, when you peel back the layers, 
the villain's not wrong. Like, you know, no matter yeah. how much we like, you, the, yeah. no matter how much we like these kids, they kind of left some dude by the side of the road to die. Yeah. So it's sort of, yeah, but we have to think, and this is what I mean by, uh, by she really carries the water in this movie <laughs> because you've got, you've got, you know, Ryan Felipe, who, by the way, oh my gosh, those pouty lips. <laughs> I was so in love with him. Um, and he's, he's the jerk and he pays the price. And, but you've got Ray, who is, you know, he's like the good guy, the not all men, um, who, is, <laughs> who doesn't agree with what they're doing, but goes along with it anyway. Uh, and How dare you say that about Ray? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Ray, sweetie, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I feel like, I feel like all of them play their roles and sort of stay consistent to their characters except for Helen, who is very clearly sort of the, like internally, she has internalized her misogyny. And I think that she is the one who shows the most growth and the most vulnerability towards the end, where I think she really is sorry about about the role that she played. And I think that Julie regrets it, but she's mostly pissed about having been backed into a corner. Yes. Um, so I, yes. And yeah, so I feel like you definitely feel the sorriest for Helen because she is the one who has legitimately grown and expressed regret and she still pays for, for the crime that she took part in. Yeah, I, yeah, in my notes I say that Helen and Ryan Felipe are the most dynamic, but Helen's the one you like the most because she's not an awful... And like Ryan Felipe is supposed to be an awful person, but right. they, it's really weird that they made the two deaths the most dynamic when, like, Freddie Prinze is really bland in this movie, I think. And, like, he's also not in a good chunk of it because you're supposed <laughs> to maybe think he's a killer. I, I, totally saw, think- I totally saw Adam's circle turn blue when you made that <laughs> remark. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> Adam. Turn blue, yeah. <laughs> well, and if you think he doesn't show up for this, wait until I, know. I still know what you did last summer, <laughs> where he takes his sweet time so we can be delivered several hit pop singles for the sake of <laughs> the film. Okay, by the way, just, just I, I had I had not recently rewatched I Know What You Did Last Summer before this podcast, even though I was probably instructed to, but um, I, I am floored that I did not remember that Sarah Michelle Keller's name was Helen. <laughs> no, it's Helen. No, more importantly, it's Helen Shivers. Yeah. It's Helen yeah, Shivers, no, it's which, no, and that's lifted directly, it's lifted directly from the book. All those names oh, are Oh, really? Direct. Yeah, <laughs> Helen and Elsa Shivers, which I'm sure in like 1976 or whatever yeah. seemed very glam, but now it's Helen and Elsa are literally your great-grandma and her sister. <laughs> Right. Although Helen Shivers seems like a great, like, goth drag queen. Like, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) welcome to the stage, Helen Shivers. And And she looks like a Helen. (laughs) And I will be her older sister, Elsa Shivers, also. (laughs) I just imagine Elsa Shivers smoking. This this new Shivers drag family that's forming. (laughs) Yeah, smoking a cigarette, being like, when I was a kid. (laughs) Tonight, the House of Shivers. This is the House of Shivers, yeah. I don't. Did we mention that the movie opens up with the men discussing Sarah Michelle Gellar's boobs? Ooh, Ryan, uh, Ryan uh, Felipe says because her and him are dating, he says she does exercises to pump them up, and it's well, like that's insane. Right. <laughs> that's right. So I it's really that. weird that Scream Two, her opening line is saying to one of the other guys, "You've got a hard on for James Cameron," and then the opening scene in this movie is them discussing her boobs, which just I mean. They do She's do it. She's not introduced well. Yeah, they do do it on purpose because Jennifer Love Hewitt does say like, "I've had enough sexism for one day," but it still is like, eh. 
not like the best look. It's, it's like that line was clearly added in like afterwards when they because the, the, the scene probably existed in the script as yes. that, and then somebody okay. was like, "Listen, we're never going to get away with this unless we have somebody come in and nag them." But how much? But how honestly? Like, how much does that line not read like a closeted gay guy making a comment about a girl's boobs? That's it's exactly how the, a weird oblique way I used to speak in middle and high school. Exactly. Yeah. This sort of like weird understanding that boobs are a thing that that's you're supposed if to. you're straight you're supposed to like and so you make a weird comment about them. Yeah. Like they're that's... so squishy when I touch them. At, <laughs> um, so I know that I know that Helen I feel like Helen has some pretty iconic horror movie looks going on. Um, like her bathing suit look with the tiara and then mm. when yes. Jennifer Love Hewitt goes to see her in the store after she first gets the note and she has like that giant thick black bandana or like hair whatever you call it to disguise to disguise how the hair piece did. yeah so, <laughs> right um, however so what I remember what I remember is her nail polish and all the rings that she was wearing because this was the 90s yeah. people yeah, <laughs> we we are talking about the '90s here. Lots of rings, dark dark nail polish, <laughs> all the the whole nine yards. Um, also, so there. Just wanted a quick because I know we need to also get to other things, but I wanted a quick reference. I took a few notes about. I know we did last summer. Um, I feel like you're the expert on it, Kayla. But so <laughs> I love that when she goes to see Sarah Michelle Gellar in the store, she says they have to be. They're, they were so careful about the murder and blah, blah, blah. And they're discussing it in the <laughs> middle of the retail store. And I'm like, you're not being careful about it now. And they're, they're just talking like... about it in full voice. And when they say that they were careful about it, what they mean is there was only one fucking witness. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, right. like, how really, really, how careful were you? You threw a yeah. dude who was still alive into the ocean. Like, it's so silly. Um, yeah, exactly. And one of the best lines is Ryan Felipe, when they go to see him, he says... Uh, you know what you did last summer? Oh, what a crack of shit. And I love that because it's like, he's saying the title of the movie and then saying it's a crack of shit. Um, <laughs> and then before they go to see Anne Heche, who I completely forgot was in this movie until I rewatched oh, it. Oh my God, you're blowing my mind. Sam Michelle Geller says to Jennifer Love Hewitt, um, do we have a plan? Angela Lansbury always had a plan. Uh, oh my gosh, a really right? Good oh, what? Their fake names are Angela and Jessica. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I have to go run and rewatch this. Because right. Adam, but, but, I thought but, of by you. The way, by the way, I have two, I just have two things to say. Number one is, if you think I still, uh, I know what you did last summer is a crock of shit. Wait till you see the two sequels. I still know what you did last summer, and um, I'll always I've know. I've only what you seen did last the first summer. sequel. I've never um, seen. I'll always know. I've only seen. Uh, seen I've I still seen know. I did. I watched it, so you don't have to. It's awful. I love. I still know what you did last summer, Matthew. <laughs> It's I fine, although it, it operates on a very preposterous notion that, like, they enter a radio contest that, in of itself, <laughs> doesn't... It, it, there's all, a whole range of problems with how they, like, the killer hatches his plan, but... Um, it's it's you, preposterous, but amazing. And again, <laughs> like I said, it gives us a hip-hop single from Jennifer Love Hewitt, it How does. Do I Deal, which I which is one of the special features on the DVD, and honestly worth every penny. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's really, if that's the only thing the movie gave us, it was worth exactly. it. Exactly. But you know what? This discussion about using a makes me want like a new murder she wrote starring Sarah Michelle Gellar with like... <laughs> absolutely exactly oh and 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 that was the other thing that I had to say was just that and I mentioned this on the tweets but Anne Heche was the core of that movie she was the scariest part of that movie and I mean that sincerely and as a compliment she 
she delivered. She made that role more than what it was on paper. Yeah, I would agree. Oh, with yeah. that. yes. I mean, it's such a big part. I, I mean, like, and and honestly, what I love about, I mean, the the, the grudge. Obviously, when we get to that, it's, it's it's a little bit apart from this. But the Scream movies and the I know what you did last summer movies, all this late nineties, very early odd stuff. Like, it's such a great, I think, queer value because it it's like it's such a blend of slasher and murder mystery, which they really hadn't done. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's sort of like, Ooh, cause it's not like, cause it was not Freddie, Jason, Michael, Mike. like it's, it, there is that like, relentless killer aspect, but what? every movie in scream is like, there's this list of suspects. Who is it? You know, like there but was, consider, is it Freddie? Exactly. But consider a movie like prom night, which was also 1980s, which also had a very low body count. It was like four people or something. And right. you didn't, know who the killer was and it was sort of a mystery thriller whodunit however much slower paced not and, and in my opinion not as good as as this fine film mm. although what prom night has going for it and what i think i still i know what you did last summer really could have used is a completely incomprehensible choreographed dance sequence um <laughs> Because when Jamie Lee walks in that room and they all just start breaking it down and you're like, who, wait, when did you guys take the time to learn this while all your friends were dying? Um, all right, let's go for it. I totally live to see uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Felipe just be like, all right, well, we're getting stalked by a fisherman, but dance. I, yes, I agree. I think everything, every movie would be better with a dance sequence, um, especially if it's a dance off. If someone was chasing you and you began a dance sequence, I think they would be conf- like confused enough <laughs> that you could get away. <laughs> I'm I mean, that, if I was I'm being chased, I would do something lunatic like that. Exactly. <laughs> well, I would not be like, oh my God, I'm going to get out of here. I would just start right. Like It's like that episode of Hey Arnold where to get away from the bully, he decides to act crazy because you just have to be crazier than the bully so that they don't fuck with you. Listen, exactly. I thought of this today while I was... While, while I was finishing Stranger Things, I thought of this today, um, which I I loved. It's unfocused, but I loved it because um, I love all of those precious children. Um, I thought of this. So when I was a kid, there was like this bully on our block that like they were all older. I was the youngest one. It was like me and my friend Sarah that played Barbies together would hang out with the older <laughs> kids because we both had older <laughs> brothers. And like the like it was all older kids. So we would hang out with them. And there was this one bully that used to like make fun of my brother and they got into a fight and baby gay Ian threw himself on top of this bully. I jumped on his back and started punching him in the head until he threw me into a bush. So I kept thinking of why are these kids doing this shit? Like if little gay Ian could do that, these kids can do that in a fight. Like, so I, I don't know. I, I feel like there were times when I wanted her to just fight him. Like, not even just because she's Buffy, but I kept thinking, like, she's gonna die. Like, I don't, I, I would know that I was gonna, like, I would be like, this man is hunting me and killing me, he's not like, gonna stop. Let me try, like, not that I think I could beat him up, but, like, maybe pick up something and hit him with it, or, like, and keep hitting him with it until he was not moving. Um, Listen, I'm going nuts. Like, when that <laughs> happens, I just, like, it's just gonna be, like, flailing, they're not even gonna know where my hands are going, it's just like... <laughs> um... So, um, I remember watching this in the theater, and you guys said, right, I know you did last summer, you guys said oh. that it came out during season two, right? Um, um, I think it came out in the summer, I think, let me see the, the date. It came out um, October 17th, 97, so it, would, yeah. it was coming out during season two. So, because yeah. I remember watching it 
like in the theater, and I hadn't started watching Buffy yet, but I remember even watching it in the theater without having watched Buffy, thinking, well, she's not going to die, she's Buffy. Like, And I remember like that whole lawn chasing, which really is the best part of the movie. It um, is, hands down. I remember thinking, like, oh no, she's going to get away, she's like... Even even then, not having watched Buffy, thinking she's way cooler than Jennifer Love Hewitt, and she's Buffy, so she's totally gonna make it. And being so shocked when she didn't, and I told Adam this. I remember watching it with my grandma in her uh, living room because she was the one that had HBO. We didn't have it at our house. And I remember like literally at that scene, my grandma screaming in Spanish about Buffy not getting away. Bless. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um, so now that we've covered her death scene, do we want to move on to the Grudge Kids, the lesser of these films? Because oh boy, is this movie boring? Oh well, my it's god, boring. But also, I think it's. I mean, it's also just like so tonally different. It's very different than like a slasher, and also yeah, Sarah Michelle Geller is no longer a teen. Yes. Yeah. And so there's, like, a whole bunch of just, like, feels like to- so many things that are different. It was aimed at the same audience as The Ring. Yeah, but well, it, yeah. Yeah, it, but was it, a, it, it was a cash grab for basically, like, The Ring did well. Let's make another Japanese horror film version. Exactly. And, and they, let's get some money. It was sort I mean, of, it was, <laughs> the irony is, it did everything that, that Scream 2 parodies about, about horror sequels in that it was... They tried to do all the things that made the previous films popular, but they completely miscalculated because what worked in the previous film was not all the things that they apparently thought worked in the previous film. Mm -hmm. I'm just like uh, waving my finger like, yes, mm -hmm, you're right. Yes, well, because it was like like they did The Grudge, and they did, um, what was it, The Eye, the one with uh, Jessica Alba. Yeah, and they and did they Dark were, Water ooh, with Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. Dark Water, which, by the way, Jennifer Connelly was great in that, but the movie was terrible. And then, oh, they're not and, the other and one with Kristen Bell. It happened in real life. That movie happened in real life. What? Remember, there was that hotel in downtown oh, LA with yeah. a woman oh, yeah. floating oh, in a yeah. water tank. Yeah. My my friend Amber, who brought me to the like Sunnydale locations, we got lunch after doing that, and it was on the same street as that hotel, and she told me about it. And I literally got scared just walking by that hotel because I remembered being obsessed yes. with watching that video and being like, what the fuck? Like, exactly. Um, but yeah, so this movie, well, the thing I forgot about... What year about, did it come out? 2004, 2005. Oh, okay. This movie came out like, it was right after The Ring. It was they, 2004. 2004. They really were... It's really weird that Sarah Michelle Gellar, who does have the... Act, she has the range... But she starred in two movies that were like clearly cash grabs on the more the better versions of those movies. Like I know he did last summer. They were like, "Ooh, Scream, let's do." I know he did last summer. Yeah, and they were like, "Oh, The Ring, let's do The Grudge." Like, right? And she was completely done with Buffy at this point. Yes. This is a full, yeah, like Daniel okay. Radcliffe post Potter doing this Woman was- <laughs> in Black. Yeah, this was supposed, this was like her big vehicle post Buffy, and yeah, based right. on this box office, people really predicted that she was going to be yes. big post Buffy because right. the, the 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 film was made for like no money, and the first week it made like forty million dollars. The first weekend it was it was released in October around Halloween, so it had the like mm-hmm. scary movie. Right money behind it the guy yeah. who created evil dead comes to you yeah. and we want you buffy yeah of course and you know the one thing we, we are neglecting to mention in this sort of like harsh read of the grudge is it did spawn two sequels so it did successful enough it was successful yeah. enough that somewhere out there like grudge franchise enthusiasts well and the, the, it has a really good cast too this For sure. it's so insane yeah. 
Like, when I... Because rewatching, I rewatched it actually today. This was the last one I watched. I... I hadn't watched Twin Peaks at this point, so I forgot that Grace Zabriskie, Sarah Palmer, plays the, right. like, woman she's the caretaker for. And it was really weird being like, oh, these two iconic women from two iconic TV shows are sharing a scene, even mm. though Grace Zabriskie doesn't say anything. Um, and then there's Clea Duvall as, like, the yeah. daughter-in-law of Grace Zabriskie, and she was on Buffy. Um, and Tom Cruise's cousin... And and oh, Max yeah. from Roswell, but he didn't take off his shirt enough. Um, here's <laughs> and, my thing about and our greatest American president, Bill Pullman. <laughs> <laughs> He's my so weird about... in it. And he was he was like really big still, and he right? has like five but, lines. But, but that's my thing about the Grudge is that I think that it was I, I think that they in a weird way they they hewed almost a little too closely to sort of a Japanese style for that movie mm. because what what works in the cinematography of one culture like what what works for movies that are geared towards one audience won't necessarily work towards another and they really sort of divided the narrative between these it's it's like three or four different like time eras yeah. like you've got the Clea Duval story juxtaposed against the Sarah Michelle Geller story and and it's sort of like what ends up happening is you lose the 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 direct thread of the narrative and uh, Sarah Michelle Geller's character gets a little washed out yes. and so at the end of it the the character that pulls the story together is the weird like clucking child ghost yeah and yeah, and right. and that's a character that you know even less about than you do about the other ones because that's not a character; it's an entity that just sort of exists to sort of every. It's the MacGuffin. But yeah, it's this, yeah. It's, this story. It's really weird. So I don't know if did you guys all see the sequel because I do think this Amber Tamblin. I do yes. think the sequel's better, like story wise. I think it does yeah. it better. I don't think it's. I don't know that it's a better. It might be just as like. I think my opinion, my opinion is that... <laughs> That's is my that, opinion to give. That's my opinion. Um, that I believe a lot of these horror films, like horror specifically, is really prone to the times, and times come and go, and I feel that The Grudge's time and The, like, the Ring and, and that sort of those movies, that time will to come again, because this was very... The Ring, all this, all this stuff was very... This post-9-11, like... Yeah. It's not okay to have fun, like, and be winky and jokey <laughs> with serious yeah. business. You know, because, I mean, I was in theater school when 9-11 happened. I re- and I remember vividly, the theater department would said, absolutely no more comedies or musicals are allowed. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Very, they, they, yeah. I always talk about how, I, I remember on 9-11, I went to a, an ice cream shop in my neighborhood. They were playing uh, um, The Boy from New York City by the Ad-Libs, and they cut out all the mentions of New York City. So it was literally everything else. It was this like like sixties themed ice cream party. So it was like ooh ah ooh ah cool cool kitty. Tell us about the and 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 like and they cut out all the mentions of New York City and they prohibited playing um, uh, songs about New York on the radio because it would it would be upsetting to people. And so yeah, so, so I, no one knew what to do. Like they were nobody like, knew how to handle themselves. Nationally, worldwide, what do we do? Like but, and, but, I, and, and as a uh, result, I actually think it's 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 notable and kind of interesting that what what grew out of that is a a, a boom in the horror genre about something so sort of I don't know, subtle and dreamlike, this sort of metastasization of your worst fears. Yes. All, all these things, yeah, like that that's something that 
like the unreal becoming horribly, horribly real. It was the same thing with the, that awful, the execrable, the eye, and then also um, Shudder, the one with uh, Pacey and uh, um, uh, what's her name? Rachel something or other. Was it, was it Shannon Sossaman mm-hmm. in that one or no? No, 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 no. It was, uh, she was an Australian actress, uh, Rachel, I'm going to have to look it up. Um, uh, Rachel Taylor. Because um, there is a there's a one with Shannon Sossaman. It's called like Miss Call, I think. And then yes, there's yes. another and one Kristen with Bell. Kristen, Kristen Bell, Bell which is that. horrendous. Like they were all terrible. <laughs> yeah. And Megan well, I Good think what ha- too. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Who was also in Brick, think, which is one of my favorite films. Right. Sorry. I think what happens though, and <laughs> what you're talking about is is that when when you do that, especially with horror, you forget fundamentally what the function of the genre is and can be. I, I think yeah, we'll bring it back to Wes Craven since we started there earlier, but Wes Craven famously said that we don't go to horror movies to be scared. We go to them for catharsis. And when you cut out the, the means to catharsis from these movies, you get this just kind of like despair that like doesn't last. So of course the movies were fun in the moment, but we do not revisit some of these films the way that we revisit the other ones we've talked about because there is not that release. Yes. It's fixating on despair in a like unending way. And that's not why you want to watch this. And that is that, that is spot but, on. Why, yeah, but, no, that guess, is that is a brilliantly articulated way to put that. Yeah. Yeah. You're so well smart. then I, I guess my question is why do you think because I think if you watch The Ring now, it's still good and scary. Yes. And yeah. that it, it kind of yes. transcends that temporality that you and Adam are speaking about. But it does not happen with the grudge, and, yeah. and part of it you can talk. I mean, you can talk about the granular details of the script and the performances and blah blah blah, like the more tactile things. But I think mm-hmm. we would all agree that there is an ephemerality mm-hmm. or something about the mood in which you're watching a film, and that the grudge can't transcend that. I think that the, the fundamental difference between the grudge, the Naomi Watts version, and uh, I mean the, the 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 Ring, the Naomi Watts version, and the Grudge, the Sir Michelle Geller version, is really the point that was addressed earlier. The grudge doesn't necessarily work because it is so locked into the details of Japanese culture. It doesn't mm-hmm. translate in the way that when they adapted the ring here, there was a conscious decision to move it yeah. to the Pacific Northwest. And so yeah. I think that, you know, we could we could cite appropriation. We could have a whole side discussion about why the, you know, why it works, why it doesn't. But I think that there is something because when we were watching the ring, there's that hometown familiarity if you will yeah. uh mm. we we connect with it in that way where the grudge attempted to remake the the japanese version but maybe too faithfully to the yeah. fact that something truly yeah. was lost in translation for us well I, I, think- I actually i think that there is something very much to that because there there is something about connecting to the familiar um especially about a story that is so deliberately vague you know it, it, yeah. it deals in so many um abstracts and so many things that are 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 by by design meant to uh, escape your 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 grasp it's so much about these loose things this this these images in this video and how they all it's sort of like these weird puzzle pieces and they can't get their hands on them and there's this mystical force and it is very much um 
as you were saying earlier, it's about despair and it's about grief and it's about these these horrible feelings that hang on you, which is a real thing. Like these, it's like depression and all this stuff that hangs on you and weighs you down. And the ways in which, like these, the insidious ways that these things um, affect your 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 daily life. So when you set it in in a familiar setting, yeah, it's easy to connect with it. But with the grudge, yeah, they sort of they put it at a much further remove and then they told the story in a way that I think was harder for Western audiences to grasp based on what they were familiar with, especially in terms of the horror genre, which had followed such a very formulaic pattern. The ring is just, it's got that Western flavor of yes simplicity of just like, yeah. here's right. the rules. They're super clear. You watch the tape seven days later, you're dead. Like, solve yep. the mystery. Like, and just, you've got, and you've so got this woman focused. who is fighting for a very specific objective, and by the end of the movie, yeah. she overcomes it. And it's yeah. something Ringu. Like, yeah. it's a, such a different experience because exactly. she, she explores the depression and the yeah. dread. And the, the, Naomi Watts is never bothered more than that. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to solve this mystery and then I'm going to die. Or <laughs> the, so, more so than a lot of other genres, horror relies on our sense of compassion because we know these people are in mortal danger in most movies we don't think that people are in mortal danger you know when we just enter into them casually but in a horror movie you come in with the expectation that these people are probably going to be in danger at some point and so it is the job of the film to make us feel compassion and by nature our compassion is limited by our imagination which is why the most effective way to like make us feel something in a horror movie is to cast like five teens in it because we'll feel like one of those teens like we were either the bullied or the bully or the pretty or the unpretty or whatever like we were someone in the group and so it it our imagination can stretch that far yes that's that's part of the reason why scream worked so well is because it it skewered that it, it walked a really fine line between putting archetypes but tongue-in-cheek so that it was so easy to see they were kind of making fun of the use of archetypes while using archetypes but then because I they lived in our world the they knew movies right. they talked movies they were us they lived in this world like in other movies before then you'd think no movies existed like nobody went to the movies yeah. like just nobody even dealt with them in their life right and I think that's part of also why what we're saying about the grudge is another thing why it doesn't work is because like I think it's really hard for us to imagine being an American expatriate in Japan who ha- this is happening to as opposed right. to oh this is happening in small town America in the Pacific Northwest and this could be anyone like it's really hard for our imaginations to stretch to oh I flew and you know I flew all the way to Japan and now I'm dealing with this curse it yeah. just doesn't yeah. right because it has a, a, a scream like, opening in Ring because like it starts with teen girls like it's, right. it has kind of a scream opening yes like, it bridges totally that does. gap I yeah. think I think the reason that grudge doesn't work is like there's so many things working against it but I think it's like the structure, we don't spend enough time with Sarah Michelle Geller. Like, I, I think they do, they definitely try. Um, and I think they, you know, they did a good effort. There's, the, I can, the shade. I can see the effort. Um, right. And, you know, they have a good cast. And I think they tried to be like, oh, this will be different. We're going to, like, do the structure all wacky. But, like, we don't spend enough time with anyone to care about them. Bill Pullman jumps off the balcony because he's gone crazy mm-hmm. from what Rousey happened. And it's, like, the first <laughs> five minutes of the movie. And, like, it's not really that scary. 
and like also I don't care. Like I feel like it's very like when we yep. when at the very end, which I do think the end is the strongest part of the whole movie. Sure. Um, because there's so much going on, and it's like, oh shit! And like, I think it's kind of cool when she climbs those stairs, and it suddenly is daylight, and you can like see the sun shining on her, and then we get the Bill Pullman flashback. But when we got to that point, we were watching it today. I was like, oh right, I forgot about him. Like, I did not care. <laughs> I was not invested. I forgot that at the beginning of the movie he killed himself. Um, and like, we just don't. And like, when Grace Brisky she dies, but she dies. Like, Sam Geller finds her, and you don't know she's dead, and you, like, learn she died. And, like, right. all, like all these characters like appear to yeah. die. Like, Grace Sabrisky's daughter, we don't see her until the scene when she's calling her brother. Like, she calls while Sam Rochelle Geller's in the house, and Sam Geller hears the voicemail. Then we get mm-hmm. a flashback yeah. to that daughter, and it's just her chase scene of her dying. So like, Well, I think you're... Oh, I'm, I was gonna say. I think you're also talking too. There are just too many cogs to it. Yeah. And the, it, it's so. it's all about the timeliness of of r- relatability. The thing that that often sells horror movies and makes them part of the fabric of our consciousness, both in the zeitgeist and just personally, is there is a thread of fear woven into something that we can relate to. Like the idea of Nightmare on Elm Street's easy because we all have to sleep. We have all had a dream. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And and you know the thing that made the ring really work, especially the ring, if it was released now, wouldn't work as the sequels in varying ways yeah. have proven. But you're talking at the beginning of of the thousands, the end of the nineties, where there was a blockbuster video on every corner. Who the fuck didn't have a VCR? Who didn't mm, watch yeah. tapes? And that was it. Like it was that easy. The idea of like, if I watch the wrong tape, it will kill me. And even though that's the good. notion of the grudge is like, you go in this house and there's this ghost. Sure, that's simple. It's a great haunted house story. But then there's just like, but this is going on and this is going on and what about her and this thing and the guy on the balcony and the blah 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 blah. And by the time you're like, wait, who's this? If if you need a flow chart to figure out a haunting, then the ghost is 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 yeah. tired too. Right. But that's the thing is that I I feel like they made it so abstract. They made it about so many things and so many different people that it, it, I I like I said I feel like Sarah Michelle Gellar's character is completely lost to me. I have no solid. Yeah. I, I I rewatched the movie before um, this podcast because it had been so long since I'd seen it and I still don't really have a solid idea of who her character was or what her deal was. It was sort of like she was a tourist in this ghost story and I, I there was nothing really to attach to which is I think part of what made Ra- The Ring work was Naomi Watts was very much involved in this story and it was about her and it was about her trying to figure out Sam Michelle Gellar is almost incidental in the movie. Yes. In the exactly. Story. Yeah. She yeah. could have been anybody. It could have been any character. It could have been any actress playing this actress. Well, but I mean, but what I mean is it's like, did they need yeah, Sarah yeah. Michelle Gellar to play that part? I feel like, yeah, it was sort of a, it was just, they it really just could needed, have been a nameless actress. Yeah, it just needed to be you somebody. Put Heigl in this, and it would have been like. <laughs> course, well, but actually, that's what I mean. I said because the movie is about the ghosts, yeah. and and all the other parts were just there to facilitate the ghosts. Yeah. So, it, which is a weird way to shoot a movie that where you're like, you're sort of like we're going to put somebody in here who is a name that you might recognize from if you're a horror fan if you're a, a fan yeah. of this kind of a genre you're yeah. going to recognize Sarah Michelle Gellar's name, and right. so you're gonna, yeah. 
This um, pod is like totally reaffirming my affection for Naomi Watts. And <laughs> just like how much, like just because she gets shit on plenty on Twitter or whatever. Um, listen, she's turned in some major, major work. It's like, again, like it's, it's, she's very <laughs> underutilized. Oh, well. absolutely. And because her energy, like, because she's, because Lynch knows how to use her, obviously. He but, sure like, does. So many yes. people don't know how to use her because they try to use her like she's Na- like she's Nicole Kidman. Yeah. And yes. she's not. She has a different scrappy like kid sister energy and Mulholland Drive uses it, the new Twin Peaks yep. uses it, and the ring uses it. Like let's, let's, let's be real, yeah. No, she does things that Nicole Kidman doesn't. And Nicole right. Kidman does things that she doesn't, but you've got to know the difference between the two. Um, And all this is, all all this is to say, I don't fault Sarah Michelle Gellar for her performance in The Grudge because I think she does a great job. I just think that they didn't give her much to work with. Yeah, they didn't give her anything. Um, Yeah. And like, I I feel like the end is the best part. Like I said, I I do think it's cool watching her walk through the house, figuring out the mystery. It's just you don't care about the mystery. Um, And then it's kind of cool that like, you know, I thought, I, I like the fact that like, once her boyfriend dies, the guy from Roswell, that's the guy from Roswell, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Max um, Bear. She likes um, the- Hello, I would recognize those abs. <laughs> she lights the house on fire, which is like kind of badass, but like it keeps with this dreary tone of like, then we get like a weird fade out to her in a hospital and then the grudge is right behind her. The like ghost is right behind her in the hospital, which leads us to the sequel where, which is why she wasn't in that episode of Angel, and it makes me crazy, because she was busy filming the Grudge <laughs> sequel, which she said in an Entertainment Weekly interview. <sighs> and the Grudge 2 opens with her dying. It literally Go opens in. with Go. Amber Tamblyn Honestly, going to visit is, is, This is the point that I wanted to bring up, actually, is my least favorite trope in horror about how the final girl gets killed in the sequel. Yeah, because I they did it. They did it to Alice in in Friday the Thirteenth, mm-hmm. and they did it to Sarah Michelle Gellar, and they did it to fucking Laurie Strode. They did it to Jamie Lee Curtis, and I'm like, how? No, I retconned. And didn't how Nancy die eventually in one of the uh, Nightmare on Elm Streets? Yeah. I think. I know there's like a hundred guys in Dream Warriors. Yes, yes. I, I will Is say she? that, with the exception of Alice in. Friday 2, every final girl from the rest of the Friday the 13th franchise lives and never That's gets killed. Jenny Fields, Fields in part 2, <laughs> yeah. queen of the fucking franchise. I need to tell you that I saw Amy Steele, now Amy Steele Pulitzer, at an art gallery in Malibu a few years ago, <laughs> and it was the defining moment of my life. Uh, <laughs> congrats. Here's a bit of, here, I'm about, to, I'm about to be that guy. Do you know uh, who wrote the last film that Amy Steele ever appeared in? No. It was me. Ha ha. What? What? <laughs> what? Hey. That's why, that's why I said that? I'm about to be that guy. I'm like, I'm about to drop me trivia. Um, no. What? Yeah. She was in the last, she, she is effectively retired, but she was in a feature and uh, I wrote it and that was the last thing she did. That's amazing. Congrats again. Listen, Friday the 13th part two is my favorite of the whole series. And I love, I love the original, but part two is still my favorite. I, I mean, I think has, two is better, yeah. And she um, was also she was also in another one of my favorite movies that nobody ever knows about, but April, April Fool's, Fool's Day. Day. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So 
The Grudge ends. The Grudge 2 literally opens with her jumping off a roof. I'm going to read my five-sentence review of the other Sarah Michelle Gellar horror movie that wasn't really a horror movie called The Return from my dead journal entry in November on November 13th, 2006. Um... It's like I start the po- the post off with, I saw five new movies this weekend, so let's review, because I was working at a movie theater. Um, the Return. Well, I'd have to say the best part of the movie was how great Buffy, or as you people call her, Sarah Michelle Gellar, looked. She looked ultra hot with dark hair. And then I have a picture, but it says, please update your account to enable third-party hosting, because it's a photo bucket link, <laughs> which is expired. And it, it was a picture of her with her hair, because it was, like, dark. It says, see? I mean, all, the mo- all in all, the movie wasn't nearly as terrible as I had thought it would be, and wasn't nearly as much of a the grudge copy as it seemed like it would be, but that doesn't mean much. It was slow and not scary and kind of boring, but I'll see anything with Buffy. That's literally my review, and I couldn't tell you anything else about the movie, other than Adam Scott is also in it. <laughs> what do we think about, like, this these collection of films as Geller's, like... What's the word? Legacy as a scream queen. I think I, I think that where I come down on it is that her legacy as Buffy is much more important than her legacy in yeah. horror films. Although sure. I'm really really glad that she appeared in those films because I, as threads that weave together into a fabric of a much larger genre, I think it's all very important. But I think she was much more iconic as Buffy, and I think that what she delivered in that role will be longer lasting. I'll agree with that. I yes. think the thing about uh, Buffy is that uh, in in Buffy to me is a horror series because there are monsters, there are horror themes, there are people in the world that would try and argue because they quote on you know quote unquote don't care for the genre or whatever. But the, the horror so often makes the villains the icons. So the thing that is great is that Buffy, the hero, is the iconic character, and that's such an important contribution to the genre and that's that's really the lasting legacy of sarah michelle geller in terms of horror but it's great like you know i love that she's in in these movies and part of these franchises that are part of the fabric of of the horror zeitgeist the fact that like and we didn't really talk about this but her scene in scream 2 is is like a righteous homage to black christmas and she she nails it like and that that scene in the movie is one of the strongest parts of that sequel she she delivers. She's great. She belongs here. She's she's a queen of the night and vampire slayers. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I actually I did like the the Black Christmas remake. My 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 favorite one of my favorite uh, horror films in recent years was the remake of Sorority Row. I actually oh my God, so good. Similar flavor. So much. I didn't see that. I, I knew that I would like it. I was like, oh, I probably like this, but I never got to see I it. I know every word to that movie. <laughs> I look for it. Um, Another great Carrie Fisher role. Oh my God, Carrie Fisher is stunning in that movie. <laughs> and right. A very young Jamie Chung in one of her first acting roles. Oh really? I know, and it's so, and she's so great. That whole movie, everything about that movie. Wait, is I that love the one with Dawn, or is Dawn in the other one? Is Dawn Dawn's in Black in Christmas one. or? Yeah. Johnson, yeah. Michelle Trachtenberg is in Black Christmas. Black Christmas. Yeah. Okay, right. I yes. guess because yeah, both yeah. of those are two That's movies the one that with I wanted. Katie to see. Cassidy, and then and then the other one is the one with Brianna Evigan. I know it's hard to keep them keep them straight. <laughs> um, and Leah Pipes, who was amazing. Oh, all right. Um, I think these movies. I think I agree with you guys. Yeah, I I think that Buffy is more. But of course, I think that. So, <laughs> I think honestly, ultimately, for me, I know this is like. A, a shit thing to say. It's, it's going to sound like I'm shading this, the, her, all of her movie roles, but 
I think what, for me, her horror film roles uh, specifically do is to back up and buttress the fortress that is her performance in Buffy, because what it does is remind us what exactly Buffy is flipping on its head. Like, she shows up in these other movies, she gets killed, she's the blunt, like, she's everything that Buffy is, like, flipping the script on and being, and I think she does really great work, she does these, she she really brings life to a lot of these things, you know, does to Helen Shivers, I can't believe that's her name, um, <laughs> like, she really, like, she really does Helen Shivers proud, but I think ultimately for me, you know, I think, like, what these just do to, is just remind me, like, okay, where is where is this archetype coming from? And it just never lets, because you can, once you get into Buffy, you can kind of forget, you just assume, oh, that she's Buffy. You just go, no. Like, I treat it like these parallel universe Buffys where she isn't like this unbreakable superhuman. Um, and like, yeah, in these other realities, she got she got killed. She, she met this set end. She did jump off a roof or whatever the fuck. Like, no, like, and then you get to the, the main timeline, which is Buffy, and then you, you appreciate it all the more, and that's how I treat it. Yeah. I I think um that Sarah Marshall Geller has a quality about her to her acting that is really well suited for horror films and that's why I think she is often cited on like scream queen lists and stuff even though she's so much associated with Buffy. Um, and I think that she brings something to Scream 2, and I know you did last summer especially. I would actually call that like her crowning Scream Queen moment. Yeah, and, yeah. Then gr- and then the grudge slash like five seconds of grudge too. Um, <laughs> I think she she just has this quality about her that I can't even, it's, it's, it's something like an every woman quality um, that really captures like, woman in trouble that you want to succeed or you want to see live. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we've said several times, even on this podcast, like in in a lot of ways, Jennifer Love Hewitt does not have that. She was cast as the star. And I know you did last summer, but you don't have as many feelings for her as you do even for Sarah. And she has something about her that is tenacious, but also very every woman, just salt of the earth. Very, I don't know. And it's, it's, it's very lovable. And that's why I, that's, I think something that makes a scream queen is that you have to have once I'm going to use the word compassion, but I also think it means like you want to see them live and you also know that they're smart enough to do so. And she plays that very well. And I think that's why she, even if her number one role, well, once again, it's a horror series, but her number one role always be Buffy, but I would count her among scream queens because I think the idea is that you get so invested in them living and all of the challenges that they face in these all these alternate timelines. Um, she just does that really well. Yeah, I think that she... I mean, I always say that she's underrated as an actor, but I think she, yeah, she totally has... You're right, Matthew. She has this likability. Lots of times in horror movies, you're just like, oh, you're going to watch this person die. I always think Scream does it the best with the characters where you're like, no, I really like this character. Um, you know, I remember in Scream 4, I was, like, really worried they were going to kill Gail, Gail Weathers, and I was going to be so upset about it if they did. <laughs> and I think Sarah Michelle Gellar brings that, like, ability to characters, even in a movie like The Grudge, where they're giving her, like, nothing. She's on my wish list, Sarah Michelle, of people I'd love to see embrace. I, I don't How old is she now? Is she... Uh, is she 40 yet? Is she not She's, like, a yet? little bit older than us, Adam, so maybe... Maybe almost 40. So she's 50. So she's 50. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
She's 40. She's she's 40, exactly. Okay. Like, so, I, I mean, I would say, like, maybe, like, in another five years. I, again, I don't know. Like, I know, like, that period is, like, very tough for teen actresses to sort of, like, embrace yeah. the kind of new, you know, kind of phase of life. I, I would love to see her, I don't know, just somehow, like, get back into the horror game um, with a new mature kind of, like, mindset. I think she'd kill it. I think we'd all be there ready yeah. for her to do that. It's I know. Re- it's, it's really weird. I don't know if any of you have heard of this. So lo- when I lived with my straight roommate, Jason, he downloaded, I want to say... It's, <laughs> I love how you have to, to well, clarify that. Right, I always feel like... I feel like the roommate. way straight people would clarify with gay... I always clarify with straight people just because <laughs> I assume gay until told otherwise. I completely <laughs> agree. <laughs> um... When I lived with him, he, I want to say it was Call of Duty, had like a really weird downloadable content expansion pack for Halloween that was the Masters of Horror. And it was four characters playing themselves, and it was um, Danny Trejo, um, Robert Englund, I forget who the other one was, and Sarah Michelle Gellar. And they were playing themselves... In this video, like, they voiced themselves in this video game, and the characters were themselves, but Robert Englund was wearing a, a, like, green and red striped sweater, Sarah Michelle Gellar was wearing a black top and red leather pants, and, like, Mm. but they were voiced by themselves, and it was so weird for her to do that, because it seems like something totally off-brand for Sarah Michelle Gellar. She's cozying up slowly but surely to the... That we kind of saw, like, I mean, not weak, I'm the Twin Peaks fan here, but, like, that because Kyle MacLachlan in Twin Peaks didn't want any, anything to do with his iconic character for years, many years. Like, yeah. Just yeah. eager to get away, really wanted to do Flintstones instead. Um, <laughs> and, like, was like, and bless him, he did it great. Um, and, you know, and, and then it kind of did it, and then had his kind of wandering time, and very, very recently, you know, and it, you see his, his Twitter now, it's just Twin Peaks and Cooper that, and yeah. you can add him with the, your Cooper costume. <laughs> like, I, she's getting to that point where she's gonna start to, like, get comfortable into the warm bath of reality of Buffy is your thing, and let's see you do some other stuff, but, like, please embrace yeah. the Buffy thing. I was say, I'm not saying she's not great. The actress who was cast was not great, but I would have loved to see Sarah Michelle Gellar as um, Jamie Lee Curtis's daughter in Halloween instead of oh, Judy Greer. Yeah. That's the thing. I can't speak bad about Judy Greer, but damn, that would have been a... <laughs> um, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Um, <laughs> thank you for having us. This was great. Um, thank you, listeners, for remaining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I drank all my vodka, so I'm going to go downstairs and get some more. Um, you're all wonderful. If you want to follow our podcast on Twitter, we are at SlayerFestX98. If you want to follow Matthew, he is at Matthew Rodriguez, one T, a G, and a Z. And if you want to follow Ian, you can follow him at Ian X Carlos. And Adam, where can everyone find you? At the Adam Sass. And Caleb, where can everyone find you? Hold on, I'm looking it up. Okay. Get your pen. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Michaelab Rarig, M-I-K-A-L-E-B-R-O-E-H-R-I-G. <laughs> Write that down. I'll say it again. M-I-K-A-L-E-B-R-O-E-H-R-I-G. No part of my name sounds like how it's supposed to sound. This homework. I thought you were called Mikhail for the longest time when I, I was like, where's Mikhail? Michael, where can people <laughs> find you? <laughs> Uh, you can find me at my name, at Michael Verratti, 
is in Victor A R R A T I. But if you're a queer horror fan, you can also check out my podcast at Dead for Filth. Yes. Um, all right, and thanks for listening to this special Halloween episode, and thank you, you beautiful boys, for joining us. Um, we'll see you guys later. Bye. 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 Bye.